0: Well, good evening, everyone. I am Eileen. This is Conversation with Eileen, episode number six. Uh, we've had some amazing people on so far, talking about the wonderful things that they've done uh, for us, for for our community. Tonight, we're going to change it up a little bit. We're going to talk about a topic that I think is really important as we come out of the pandemic. Issues that uh, We're seeing issues that we're going to see, um, struggles that people are having, and resources that are available. So tonight we have with us uh, Dr. Jeffrey Reynolds. Uh, I'm happy to call him friend, uh, but he has a bigger title than that. He is President and Chief Executive Officer of Family and Children's Association, and he is the expert on this subject. So welcome. Welcome.
1: Hi, Eileen. Thanks for um, having me on.
0: I will ask permission to call you Jeff.
1: Of course.
0: Thank you, because you, you've you earned that title of doctor, and uh, it's, it's, it's a well-earned title.
1: Jeff is fine, and I always remind people it's PhD, not MD. So if <laughs> you have a cardiac event during a meeting, then I can't do all that helpful. You're I can probably guy. help you think about the event, but I'm of zero value from a medical perspective, so Jeff is fine.
0: You're not the guy. Okay. Well, you are the guy tonight because yeah. the topic that we're going to talk about is really your expertise. And, you know, one of the things is maybe just tell um, just tell our viewers a little bit about yourself and what you kind of
1: do. Sure. So I have the privilege of running Family and Children's Association, as you said, during the intro. And that's an organization that is more than 135 years old. Uh, started here in Nassau County in the late 1800s as an orphanage. And now we run more than 30 different programs that run the lifespan everything from a pre-k co-op nursery in the heart of Hempstead to senior programs and everything in between at last count we had 340 staff Um, we've got about a dozen locations Um, and again we run a variety of programs including some programs in the space that we're going to talk about tonight which is substance use disorders and, and mental health disorders and so I really feel privileged to be able to run this organization. Although I'm the one that gets to do podcasts and broadcasts and receive awards and those kinds of things, it's really the staff on the front lines that are doing all the work.
0: So your organization really does cover the gamut um, from children to seniors, and that that's really amazing. Um, that's a big undertaking.
1: So it is, especially now, Eileen. And you know, and like I said, we're here to talk substance use disorders and mental health. But the other areas that we focus on are just as critical. And so we're talking about early childhood development. We're talking about, uh, we have a gun violence uh, interruption program in the village of Hempstead, and obviously gun violence is on the rise. And then we have a whole suite of senior programs. And I think there is no bigger tragedy out of COVID than is the way we addressed and dealt with um, our senior population, especially those who are trapped in nursing homes. And so it's almost as if every population that we've worked with, and we focus on disempowered and disenfranchised communities, has been touched disproportionately by COVID. And in fact, we often talk about how we're all in the same storm, but we're in very different boats. And the folks that we serve at FCA, some of them are in canoes, and some of them are in life rafts, and some of them are just doing the best they can. And so, you know, our goal is to get those people to to shore and maybe kind of pluck them out of the water before they're in real trouble.
0: Uh, well, that's an amazing resource that's available, and that was um, one of the reasons why, um, in particular, I wanted to have you on because I know that your organization does such amazing things um, for individuals. So, tell me, what do you what are you seeing? What are you seeing the issues? What are you seeing people struggle with? Um, and and you know, what maybe are some warning signs that some parents can kind of being made aware of for for children that may be struggling.
1: You know, I think one of the the great lessons out of COVID is just how intertwined mental health and substance use disorders are. And very often um, as we try to treat those two conditions, we do so separately and in fact there are even two separate state agencies, one that deals with mental health and one that deals with substance use disorders. Right. And I think through the lens of COVID, we came to understand how intimately connected those things are. I think virtually everyone out there experienced some heightened level of anxiety, of, an- of depression, of social isolation, of fear, uncertainty, whatever you want to call it during COVID. And so even the most quote unquote, well-adjusted folks, whoever they are, really struggled through this pandemic. And many of those folks turned to drugs and alcohol to to make it go away. And, you know, case in point, um, we're coming fresh off some news about a series of overdoses on the East End involving fentanyl and, and cocaine. And in the past year, we've seen overdoses rise here in Nassau County overdose fatalities by 35%. So we were making great headway here on Long Island. Um, up until COVID hit and we had managed to bring those overdoses down um, in a pretty significant way after they really hit their highs in 2016. Well, we gave all of those gains back and we gave them back because folks that were stressed out, folks that were anxious, folks that were no longer hemmed in to a nine to five job where they needed to be in the office had all the reason in the world to go out and drink and use drugs. At the same time, we had a drug supply that was severely disrupted. Um, if you think about it, where do people get drugs from? Well, they're brought in through the airports. Most flights were closed down and travel was was cut off. Um, the ports in New York and New Jersey were tied up um, during the height of COVID. Police were focused on other things, rightfully so. Um, and you had people trapped in their homes, not having to go to work and unsure as to how to manage everything that was that they were facing. We also saw, and if you think about it, one of the few essential services here in New York State... Mm -hmm. Was what? It was alcohol. And not only did we go from, you can't leave a restaurant with an open bottle. Now it was, back your car up and we'll dump a 55-gallon drum worth of margaritas into your trunk. And those people went home and they started drinking at 2 p.m. in the afternoon and then posted funny memes about it on Facebook. And so we've seen the dramatic increase in alcohol use. We've seen the dramatic increase in drug use. While all this was going on. yeah. A lot of the inpatient treatment facilities here on Long Island were emptied to make room for COVID patients.
0: Wow. The
1: detoxes were emptied out. So folks that were in detox were ushered back out the door, back out into the community. At the same time, everything was shut down. As an organization, we were able to move a lot of our outpatient services and recovery support services to a virtual environment. Um, Same thing for children's mental health. And for some people, that was really good. For a lot of other people, it definitely wasn't enough.
0: Sure. Uh, listen, I get it. You know, um, I've had uh, family members struggle mm-hmm. um, for years uh, with substance abuse, and it's it is it is tough. It is a, it is tough on every member of the family. Now, factor in a pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm glad to say that he finally. Uh, was ready to to get the help that he needed. And he is five years clean. But awesome. uh, I will tell you, it was many, many years of, of, of struggle and a huge impact on my family. And you don't realize that you are an enabler until mm-hmm. you're not an enabler anymore. Um, and unfortunately, during this pandemic, everybody was Like you say, in in the same boat, you know, I'm I'm home, I'm I'm quarantining, I'm I'm doing nothing. uh, And, you know, it's it's funny. Hey, look, I'm having, you know, uh, sangria at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Not realizing the real severity of what could potentially be down the road. Now, not everyone is predisposed to... um, these traits um i do believe in my opinion that fentanyl is on the rise
1: yeah so we 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 saw a lot of that the fentanyl issue you know and and it drove me crazy some of the the media coverage talked about the bad batch of cocaine on the east end as if there's such a thing as a good batch of cocaine and that's not contaminated can't kill you um You know, right at this point in time, fentanyl has been pressed into everything. And that's part of what I was alluding to when I talked about the disruption in the drug supply. You have dealers out there um, that are trying to gain more market share. I mean, it's ironic because fentanyl kills off your customer base, but they're out there kind of marketing. I have the most powerful cocaine in the world. I have the most powerful heroin in the world. And they're peddling it to folks who don't know any better. And the reality is, if you're using cocaine, heroin, or any street drug, it's passed through hundreds of hands before it ever gets to you. So dealer one puts in a little bit of fentanyl, dealer six puts in a little bit more, dealer 12 adds a little bit more. You have no idea what you're getting. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm really supportive of law enforcement efforts to go after the dealers and if yeah. need, we charge them very aggressively. But in my space, the reality is if we reduce the demand for those drugs through treatment, through prevention, through recovery support, then that's our space. And I think it's a good combination of the two, reduce the supply and that's what the police do. Um, But also reducing the demand is the piece that that we take responsibility for. And like I said, a lot of our our outpatient services move to a virtual environment. In some regards, that was pretty good because we finally overcame some of the transportation barriers that are endemic to Long Island. Okay. So if somebody like me says you want to come to treatment three times a week and you recently got a DWI and lost your driver's license or right. you're trying to support two kids and and work two jobs in order to do that when you actually go to treatment. Yeah. And so, you know, the virtual environment did eliminate some of those barriers, but it also is really hard to connect with another person about intensely personal issues when it comes to to some of this stuff. These are really personal conversations and and Zoom is just not the same, particularly for kids. We run a children's mental health program and you know, our clinicians would be exhausted at the end of the day. And there was a part of me, that was like, you're sitting down, why are you so tired? And you know if you've ever tried to engage a 12 year old in a meaningful conversation, you know how challenging that can be. Now imagine that 12 year old has a serious mental health diagnosis. Imagine that 12 year old has a bunch of chaos in their family life happening behind them. Imagine they wanna talk about really personal things and they're sitting at the dining room table in front of a laptop with the camera on, it becomes really hard to have meaningful exchanges with that young person. And that's one of the things that we saw. So for some people, the virtual environment when it came to treatment and counseling was a godsend, but for the vast majority of the population, it just wasn't enough to sustain them through a really, really difficult pandemic.
0: You know, Jeff, I I understand the, the struggle of having, um, a child you know who needs the help and this unfortunately was the only avenue and I think um, your biggest impact um, and the people that you have at your organization what they bring is that personal touch and unfortunately that was removed yeah um, and yeah. in, in having to utilize what the next best Thing was the next best resource was which was the computer. Um, so what what are you seeing in our children, um, you know, as they try to get back to normalcy and and you know and and
1: re-socialize So you know, for adults going back to work now, we're finding people having a hard time. You know, adults who are used to drinking at 2 p.m. can no longer drink at 2 p.m. And adults who are used to not getting up until 10 o'clock the next day and then maybe doing some work or having a hard time adjusting. I shudder to think what happens when we try to send our kids back to school next month or within the next couple of weeks. And we're also doing it at a time where there's a lot of uncertainty about what will happen in schools. And so. You know, our our incoming governor has said that um, she's going to leave it to the districts, but that masks are recommended. Um, The emergence of Delta um, and maybe even another COVID variant have left a lot of that in question. But our kids are going back to a lot of unknowns. Uh, Kids that are making transition, for example, into a new school this year, I they're going to have it particularly tough. Um, And quite frankly, parents are going to have it a little bit tough. You know, one of the struggles in all of this you know, and I know it's an issue that's dear to you, is the issue of single moms and childcare. And so we even saw that among our staff and that, you know, folks that had childcare arrangements saw them fall apart. And so we had moms on our staff who were juggling two kids on their lap at the same time they're trying to do a Zoom call with somebody else's child in great need. So I think we're gonna see the anxiety, the depression, the school refusal in our kids continue to increase I think, although it's not something that's a primary concern for me, but kids who fell behind in the past year are going to come to understand just how far they fell behind. You know, we use this term learning loss to talk about the past year or so. And again, I don't find that compelling because it's much more important to me that kids are well adjusted and healthy and happy and have positive lives versus, you know, what they might have learned in the classroom. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, there was a lot of kids going back. In a very different state than when they left school, but with a lot of uncertainty. And you know, understand, you know, our kids thrive on certainty, and that's one of the reasons we said to parents, you know, try to keep a set schedule in the home because that's the way kids work. They like that predictable schedule. They like bells in schools, and that's when you move and everything is predictable. To take that fear away, um, all of that is gone. And for parents that are struggling themselves. It's going to be difficult making the transition back. I do think, and I've said this to parents all along, you know, I've always felt that parents should be working more closely with schools, that the schools and school personnel are our allies, not our adversaries. And some parents treat them as such. If there was ever a time to make sure you had the very best and most comprehensive team together for your kids' health, safety and well-being, now is that time. And so that communication with the school is absolutely critical. That communication with your kid is absolutely critical. It always has been. Right Now more than ever, helping kids verbalize how they're feeling, what they're going through, being able to break through, you know, when they get home, the one word answers where you say, how, is your, how was your day? We've all been there. How's your day? Great. Did anything happen? No. How was it again? Fine. You know, to ask more probing questions, like what was the best thing that happened to you at school today? Who did you sit with at lunch? Um, what's one thing that happened in school today that surprised you? Um, did you learn one new thing today? Um, was there one thing that, um, that took you aback about going back to school? Who did you reconnect with that you missed over the course okay. of the summer? So our ability, back. you're back. Our ability to ask our kids more probing questions and engage them in meaningful conversations is going to be even more important than it was pre-COVID.
0: Something um, I am, I'm not shy talking about because uh, I believe that my experience with my own daughter um, and struggles that she had, not even in a pandemic, um, but some struggles that she had and 15 seemed to be the age for her. I was very, very, very lucky that she was very verbal with me. And she was actually the one that came to me and said, mom, I think I need to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. And I, am, I thank God. And I, I feel blessed that she was strong enough and confident enough to share that with me. And it was a long journey, and it was sca- very scary at times. Yeah, yeah. Now you, you, you factor in extenuating circumstances, and that that just you know impacts uh, the the child even further. Um, I, I'm happy to say that she just graduated um, college. She graduated um, her last semester completely remote with a 4.0 and and is going out into the workspace. So for anyone that might be listening that can relate to that, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you have to put your faith in the people that are professionals in in that scope as yourself. And you, you have to listen to your child. You, you have to listen to your child and, and you have to respond. And as you said earlier, Jeff, communication is such a key and one of the signs I think we could say would be you know those one word answers or the the lack of maybe an interest in or an or an answering or um, a change in uh, uh, focus uh, someone that maybe was um, you know likes to play music and all of a sudden isn't playing music anymore you know those those are warning signs and I think um, it's important to talk about resources that are available. So, of course, you know, we have you. Um, what what else can you tell us that would be a good resource for a parent besides Google?
1: Yeah, so, so just just on the learning side because those are important. And one of the things that we always say to parents is to look for those kinds of changes in um, in interest, in sleeping patterns, in eating patterns, big changes in friends, big changes in uh, financial status, suddenly your kid's walking around with a whole bunch of money, you should inquire about where it came from, your kid has no money that you thought they had, where, what happened to it. You know, One of the difficulties though, and the moodiness, one of the difficulties is that a lot of those signs look an awful lot like adolescence, normal adolescence, and that's a time of growth and of change. We always encourage parents to go that extra mile and begin having the conversations and talk about what you're seeing and talk about what you're noticing. And then if you're not satisfied with the answers or remain concerned, you know, there, is this, there are school resources in play. Uh, we're very fortunate, particularly in Nassau County, but in Suffolk County as well, to have a ton of government-funded not-for-profits that have really good people in them that are ready, willing, and able to help. And so across Nassau County, in fact, Nassau County runs a, um, a 24-hour hotline. It's 516-227-TALK. Um, you could call them anytime, day or night, and get referrals. If you call us at FCA, and you could go to our website at familyandchildrens.org. If we can't help you, we'll make sure that you'll get to the right place. We never say, yeah, we don't do that and hang up the phone. And so someone will walk you through. If you know of somebody that's having a drug and alcohol issue, there's Lycad, um, that's in Mineola. There are so many resources out there. We are very, very lucky to have this number of resources. Yeah. There's also private clinicians and therapists out there that are ready, willing and able to help. There is no reason besides your own sense of denial for postponing making a call. And look, you might come to an organization like FCA or another agency or even a private therapist and they'll say, there's not a lot going on here. I think they're okay. At least you checked it out.
0: Yes, yes. You know, um, uh, I'll roll the dice, uh, on Lotto, not my children, right? Not my children. They, they, they are too important. You have brought such important information. I really felt very strongly that this was a topic that definitely needed to be, um, talked about and have a conversation about. There's one more thing that I know about you and I, I I I think it's remarkable because I think it really talks about you are really a very dedicated person to something else that you're very passionate about. You know what I'm alluding to?
1: Yes, but I missed half the conversation because you dropped out, and I think I know where you're going. I but but I don't want to make a mistake, so just recap.
0: (laughs) So you know, I you're such a multifaceted person, you. And, and I've been um, at the Heroin Task Force and I've heard you speak, and I've, I've been at other uh, venues and I've heard you speak. And you, you are one passionate human being. And I think that that is a great description of you. And I think that you carry that throughout many facets of your life, your, your children. Um, and something that I know you love to do. And I would love for people to, to know that about you because it just makes you, um, you know, just such a real person. So tell us what is, what is is that one thing that you love to do?
1: So it sounds like you're, you're moving towards my career in triathlon. Um, (laughs) triathlon marathons, those kinds of things. And so I do, uh, I do, I've done a number of triathlons, number of, um, of marathons. I race pretty assertively. And I'll tell you why I do those things. Um, and the whole running thing kind of picked up by accident. It's one of those things where a 5K isn't enough, you're doing a 10K, then a half marathon, then a marathon, and then it's not bad enough to be bad at one sport, you have to be bad at three, and then you have to take on triathlons as well, where you could swim, bike, and run. Um, but, but one of the things that was important for me is, is a exercise for me is a great boost to my mental health. And so, you know, doing this work can be taxing, can be straining. You've got to get out of your own head and, and doing that kind of exercise helps me do it and gives me the dopamine rush every day in a very natural kind of way. It also particularly doing extreme sports has given me the ability to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and sitting in that space and understanding it's not going to get any worse you're not going to die and you just plow through it and everything's going to be okay. Triathlon is also one of those other things where it's just everybody works together. And I guess, yeah, you're competing against another person, but it's one of those things where you see somebody trip and everybody rushes to pick that person back up and, and help them across the finish line. And so Um, It's different than other sports. It helps me maintain my sanity for what that's worth. And some would argue and say it's not doing a great job of doing that on most days, but um, it does. And so I love doing it. We're actually starting some new programming in FCA for young people in recovery um, to get them out and exercising and, and helping them to experience not only the health benefits, but the mental health benefits associated with Um, physical exercise in the form of doing 5Ks and things like that. So I'm really excited about being able to bring the two worlds together.
0: I think that that is amazing. I think that you um, bring so much to the table as as an individual in your profession and in your personal life. And I love the fact to hear that you're even willing to challenge yourself. And I think that that's amazing. Um, And I think that just speaks to wonderful person that you are and I'm I'm happy to know you and I'm happy to call you my friend and I, I want to thank you for your time I know you are a very 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 busy individual, and I want you to know that at any time if there's a message that you want to get out to the community please feel free to reach out to me I am happy to be a liaison for you to get anything out I'm gonna list some of organizations and the phone number uh, with this podcast so that if somebody this does speak to someone and and they want to reach out we've given them some good information
1: absolutely eileen and and you know thank you for having me on and and you know i would be remiss if i let you end without me thanking you for all of your public service work uh your support on behalf of veterans Um, and folks in the fire service has been something that I've noticed and your willingness to advance the public discourse out there and try to make Nassau County a better place um, is certainly something I admire. It takes a lot of courage to step up um, and you do that consistently. So I appreciate that.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I think I pale in comparison to you though.
1: Stop, not at all.
0: (laughs) All right, well, thank you so much for your time. Go be with your beautiful children. And I hope I get to see you soon.
1: Be well. I'll see you soon.
0: And stay safe, okay?
1: You too, Eileen. Take care.
0: Thanks again, Jeff.
1: Bye-bye.